York for episode 13 of the Beirut Banyan. And we're joined today by Philippe Massoud, owner of Alili Restaurant in Manhattan. Before we get to Philippe, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider a donation through Patreon. Simply click on the Patreon link in the details box below, or visit our website, BeirutBanyan.com, and click on the Patreon button. Any donation is appreciated. There are no sponsors, no advertisers influencing this podcast. Now, pardon the cliche for a moment, but nothing beats Lebanese hospitality. And if there's anyone that's an expert on the subject, it's Philippe Massoud, third generation of a family well-known for running restaurants and hotels, oftentimes both, especially when it came to the Coral Beach, a hotel that stayed open, continued operations throughout the Civil War. Now, a lot has been written already about a Lili restaurant and the food that's served there. I was more curious about Philippe's backstory and his memories of his father, George Massoud, before he was killed in Coral Beach. I was also curious about what brought him back briefly during the war itself, and what eventually made him settle in the States and now live permanently in New York. Philippe grew up quickly during the worst years of fighting, and he shares his memories of Coral Beach when his father was running the hotel in the 1980s, when kidnappings and bombings were the norm, the hotel stayed open and was fully operational. And Philippe is a well-respected chef, and the conversation is sprinkled with references to cuisine and where Philippe's personal passion for food comes from. And that perseverance, that strength, is what Philippe took with him to the States, paving the way for opening and running an award-winning Lebanese restaurant in one of the hardest markets in the world. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Philippe Massoud. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. I want you to tell me what it was like as a child, the earliest memories you have of Beirut. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, very few people know or probably remember this, but um, we lived on Kantari Street across from the Holiday Inn. I remember Kantari because I used to get crunch bars from Aziz, milk and chocolate with the Rice Krispies. And on the occasions that I could shoplift a few, I would. <laughs> Obviously, they knew that I was doing that. Um, I also remember it um, because you, unbeknownst to me, the war was already beginning because you could see uh, men in black hoods uh, roaming the neighborhoods. Um, we, uh, we also had a roadblock in front of our house. I remember that. So I, we're now going back to the early 70s. We're around, talking right before... Just before the war. Right before it exploded. Yeah. Can you, uh, is as it, a matter of fact, yeah. we were in Alley mm. when it exploded. And we packed our bags and went to the Coral Beach thinking that we'll wait it out so that we can go home. Uh, we never went back home. Wow. And I never saw Ale or Kantari ever again, ever in my life. 
and we became refugees in our own hotel, like many other families in Lebanon that became refugees at the Coral Beach and other hotels uh, like it. And what happened is that because at the time things were along confessional lines, our home in Alay, because we were Christians uh, in the in the mountain, were robbed and burned. And our home in Kantari was robbed and burnt. So in essence, we had nothing. We, we lost everything. And uh, my life begins at the Coral Beach, my parents in one room, and myself with the housekeeper in another room, <laughs> and my siblings in another room. So in essence, uh, the family unit or the structure, your typical home living, um, you know, was something that was very foreign to me. Uh, and I ended up by living in the Coral Beach uh, up until I was about 11 or 12 years old. Now, uh, the Coral Beach was a mixed blessing because, it, you know, being such a huge, big area, it was, uh, for me, like a little uh, fantasy land, <laughs> which allowed me to escape from the reality of the war even though we also, in order to protect the Coral Beach, had agreed to become the headquarters of the International Red Cross. I'll interrupt you just for a moment because you, you mentioned the Holiday Inn. Yes. And the Holiday Inn was open for less than two years. Mm -hmm. So your, your childhood, your earliest memories are the breakdown yes. of order. Yes. And, I mean, it's... it's I think all too common that the earliest childhood memories for Lebanese is horrible yeah. in that sense. But then you have that crunch, Nestle crunch, shoplifting, yeah. and that's also that's really enjoyable. I mean, it's, yeah, it's pe petty it's crime. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, but in the childhood sense, you, Beirut always has that. Yeah. Even in times of crisis, maybe perhaps as a child it's easier. There's that normalcy in times of chaos. Well, I think this genetic will to survive and not be defeated uh, is innate, in my opinion, in the Lebanese, or if you want to get really philosophical, you want to go back to the Phoenician DNA or whatever. Our war in Lebanon was not your typical war. It was a war of attrition. People would lob at each other bombs. Mobsters would take over. And there was pre-agreed upon lines, you don't cross this line, I don't cross that line, I'll bomb your people, you bomb my people, and then we stay in power and reap the benefits, you know. There were maybe in the beginning, and, and, and unfortunately, a lot of beautiful people lost their lives, uh, misguided by idealism that was very well placed, but the game was so much bigger than 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 their honorable and clean intentions that they got you know we lost them for nothing in the end of the day and and initially there was a, in my humble opinion a true civil war you know but then eventually it became a mobster war uh, but, but but to go back to the coral beach just so that you know when we were evacuated when we ended up there our, my grandparents were still stuck in the building in, in Coral Beach? In, in, Kantari, in Kantari, while it was burning. Oh, uh, so they were there? Yes, my grandfather was a paraplegic. Okay. Uh, he had gotten ill from like some Hong Kong flu or whatever back then, you know. 
God knows what. And um, we had to make a deal with the Murabitun at the time. Who had just taken over the Holiday Inn. Who had just Inn taken over the area yeah. to evacuate my grandfather in a tank because wow. the snipers, uh, you know. And, and then when there was a lull, my mother was given access to get to the home, walking through cadavers that were still burning yeah. uh, to recoup the couple things that she could recoup. And then the people that stole our apartment, robbed us, came to sell us. Uh, our own stuff. You uh, No, no, absolutely. That was the norm back then. And um, that's all I remember from that. So, you know, it's short-lived. I remember dancing with my mother in our living room. You know, my mother loved to dance. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, holding hands. I remember my dad cooking for us on Sundays mm -hmm. and little things like that. I remember giggling with my younger cousin who lived, you know, we were, the whole family was in the building. Kind right, of. right, right. Back then, you know, people lived close to each other like that. Um, but otherwise, and, and, and I remember seeing my first, having my first experience with death, because I think the, the Kateb at the time who were there had a roadblock on which a taxi had not stopped and it, they lobbed a grenade at it and, and I remember the grenade exploding, so I'm four years old at the time, four and a half or five. These are your first memories. These are my first memories. Yeah. And I remember seeing uh, bodies covered with tarps and, and guts all over the place. But, and, I, and I remember my older brother and sister shielding me from, uh, from viewing yeah. what was going on. Yeah. Um, I also remember that I almost burnt down the apartment. <laughs> because um, I decided that I was going to try smoking. Uh, sorry, at four? At four. <laughs> I sat on the sofa uh, in the living room. I lit the cigarette. And, um, and then I saw somebody come. So I pulled the pillow over. I threw the cigarette behind the pillow and put the pillow back in its place and went, went into my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden I start hearing screaming and all that and I can see smoke seeping through under the door and I realized I had done something really, wrong yeah. <laughs> and it was this new satin kind of fabric that had just arrived from Paris that my mom had spent a fortune on buying highly flammable <laughs> highly flammable of course you know polyester or whatever the hell it was and she's on the phone with the decorator um, and they're throwing water at it and it won't go off yeah. so he's telling her Cut it up with scissors. Oh, so, right. So yes. you have this yeah. gaping hole in the sofa. Long story short, when they opened the door to my bedroom and they saw me trembling in fear, they felt that I had gone through enough trauma <laughs> that I wasn't <laughs> going to get punished or screamed at. And that's, that's all I remember. But so the, the early years of the Civil War shielded you from discipline? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes to, say, to say the least. But living in the Coral Beach... Uh, was something magnificent and scary at the same time because sure. by the mere fact that, well, first of all, you have to realize that we were a Christian family, a notable Christian family on the west side of Beirut. And like Muslim, our Muslim brother and sisters that were on the Christian side, we were always under pressure because uh, we were used as pawns and pressure points in a variety of ways, depending on how the militiamen wanted to use us. I, and you're, I mean, these are, I know you were very young those yeah. years, but uh, my, my, well, I guess around the same time, 11, 12, 
my initial interaction with Beirut was Coral Beach. Oh, wow. The moment we returned to Lebanon, after the war ended. During the war, we only went to Tripoli mm -hmm. via Damascus. Yeah. We wouldn't fly into Beirut. Yeah. So we would... I never knew Beirut until 91. Oh, so wow. that's literally just yeah, a few right months after. the war of liberation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's... I mean, Le mm -hmm. Beirut is still recovering. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. I'm in the Coral Beach. Yeah. And we I had already sold it by then. You had already sold it. Yeah. But it's... My memories of Coral Beach as this as the early 90s is uh, low-flying planes mm -hmm. that now don't fly just above that. Uh, and it's also, of course, Dahye Uzay, which mm -hmm. is very dense and urban. Mm -hmm. In those years, in the, the mid-70s, up until you left, was Coral Beach more remote from Beirut? So here's, here's what's ironic. Um, Coral Beach was built as one of the first beach resorts, mm. beach resort hotels in Lebanon. And at the time, uh, my grandfather had bought the land of both Coral Beach and Summerland. Okay, so, so next so to each other. So we owned yeah. the whole plot. Oh, did your family own both? Yeah, yeah, we owned, we owned the whole plot. Oh, the plot, okay, yeah, we okay. Own, we owned the whole plot. Yes. We built the Coral Beach and opened it in 64. However, back then, despite our valiant efforts to operate it as a beach resort and all that, mm. there were constant problems in the south and with attacks and counterattacks and the PLO and the Israelis yes. and all that, yeah. that the place would get booked up for the summer and then empty out uh, uh -huh. of bookings. And, and the hotel... So even uh, back then you had that kind of yeah, or you, schism. Already, yeah, because yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you had you know little altercations all right, the time. Right. And, but for the Western world, it was... And the airport was bombed several times. You had the Middle East Airlines. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the hotel never took off, even though it was really, you know, uh, a magnificent place. And, and uh, I think when the war started and all the hotels got destroyed in downtown Beirut, mm. a hotel like the Coral Beach and others that were on the outskirts ended up by being oh, yeah. saved, so right. to speak, right. because we were the last man standing. But, it, I mean, as, as a child, was it just more, was it, did you feel isolated at Coral Beach then? Or did you feel like this is still part of the city? Like, oh, no. Um, to be honest with you, it was the Coral Beach and school, and that's it. There was okay. no, There was no city life. Right. There was no, oh, let's go to the park and let's go play soccer. Or right. Play. So this like, almost like an isolated... Yes, yes. It was... Hotel. It was an island... An the way I described it is that it was an oasis of peace in a land of insanity. <laughs> um, and, and it was really unique. I mean, you want to talk about defying uh, death and defying uh, war... You know, I mean, you're, you're sipping rosé while yeah. 155 millimeter shells are, are falling in the sea. Yeah. And you got 50 caliber bullets whizzing by right. and you're doing your laps and you don't have a care in the world, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm exaggerating here, but what, what made the Coral Beach unique is that uh, we never gave up on coexistence. And, and it was... For us, it always represented the Lebanon that we all dreamed of having, you know. And and we had a Christian staff and a Muslim staff. And, you know, like, the militiamen would come and kidnap our Christian staff. 
my dad would have to call, you know, X, Y, Z, and like, listen, man, you want to eat your scallop milanese? You know, the guy's got to get back into the kitchen and cook. <laughs> and they would come, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Did they really do that? Did they kidnap them? Well, yeah, they kidnapped them. Oh, I'm so sorry. They'll be back there in like 45 minutes. And then they would bring them back, and you know, and then another guy who didn't get the instructions not to kidnap would yeah. come and take his turn at the right. kidnapping right. and send you a list and say, I need you to buy me all this <laughs> and donate all that. So they so, were, in a way, you were protected and taken advantage of by oh, just being in that situation. Big time. Big time. Had, yeah. we, had we not had the International Red Cross mm. headquartered at Coral Beach, we would have been gone a long time ago. We were feeling pressures all the time, uh, you yeah. know. You know, it's interesting. The Commodore usually gets those Civil War stories yeah. simply because journalists were based there. Correct. And books have been written about that Correct. pirate at the entrance Correct. and Beirut Correct. to Jerusalem. Correct. Coral Beach doesn't have that uh, that maybe internal reputation among Lebanese because maybe that's... It's unwritten. It's an unwritten story. Even though you have Red Cross, you have all that. There's a lot that happened uh, behind the scenes that right. was not published. So yeah. think of it... At the Commodore, they reported. Exactly. At the Coral Beach, they might have met. Right, right. <laughs> you know? And Commodore, of course, is harder yeah. to get to. Yeah. It's in the middle of Hamra yeah. during the war. Coral and Beach doesn't have that issue, but it's still... It's I mean, we same. had, you know, we had the PLO yes, exactly. right next door in yeah. the Abella Hotel. Right. Yeah, we had the Israeli Navy do a yeah. landing at the Coral Beach to attack. And these hotels share a very very tragic story of Lebanon because these yep. are these are hotels mm -hmm. and here they're being used as something very different yep. and even then you're still trying to keep what it was meant to be in the worst times absolutely is it just a coincidence that the kitchen and it's there and your father and the story is it just mere luck that you're no, so close it's, no it's, it's not um, so you have to realize that I'm third generation in it my grandfather is the mm. one that started it. the Coral Beach to me represents uh, defying all odds because you know I remember my father working you know 15 16 hours taking apart a generator because yeah. the fuel oil that we got delivered was full of water and sand yeah and he wanted to make sure that our guests had hot water to bathe in and air conditioning to, you know, working out all sorts of deals to try and get food into the hotel so that we could food, you know, the amount of diplomacy, negotiation, hostage, negotiation. I mean, you have every possible angle of the word <laughs> negotiation I endured. And, and, you know, my father was the type of guy, if you came to rob him, you walked out feeling bad that you even thought that you could rob him. You know, he was one of those guys. It's not that you went and then pursued a hotel, right? You didn't... I'm talking really about the... the this, like, little... So let me tell yeah. you. So because of the Sunday night dinners that we used to do at home in Cantalia... Mm, mm, mm. Well, going well, back now to your... Well, okay. Yeah. When yeah. we get to the Coral Beach... Yeah. At first, I'm forbidden from entering the kitchen. I'm forbidden from, like, uh -huh. going behind the scenes. Yeah. And slowly but surely, eventually, you know, we have, we're eating with the staff, Akhle Shahide, you know, yes. we were eating the same as everybody else. It's called family meal mm. in my industry. You know, I discovered the patisserie, 
you know, start opening up ca- cabinets, and yeah. then all of a sudden I find subli with the apricot jam and chocolate right. sublis and little tarts. So this is not necessarily generation family business. This is your own individual curiosity. This is me going in and right. gobbling up all the petty fours <laughs> yeah. without asking anyone, not yeah. knowing that they were prepared for a party or for right. some gala or for whatever, and just acting like this is my place. I can do whatever yes. the hell I want. And right. You know, and climbing on a stepladder on top of the baking oven to, you know, dip yeah. into the tempered chocolate, you <laughs> right, know, with right. Nutella on demand, but my own kind of. So all of that uh, started at a very young age. Yeah. And I'm watching this, you know, I'm watching them, you know, chop parsley, tabbouleh for, you know, a thousand people. Mm-hmm. I'm watching them do fatayers around the table. I'm, I'm watching all of this and I'm tasting and I'm eating. Um, and you're, I mean, this is school and, in a sense, food. Yes. Right? There's just nothing, I mean... Nothing else. That's it. That's it. Right. Nothing else whatsoever. Right. So you're, you're working, in a sense, without... Well, I'm mean, working at the self-service. So mm, I, mm. I would put two phone books under, and I would work the register because I yes. wanted to feel like I was important. <laughs> and, and, you know, I had an, an, a pretty decent, like, belly. I was very muscular as a kid. And then I would work the fry station because mm. I love the fries. We, yes. we made some of the best fries at the self-service over there. And, and then what happened is that uh, we moved to an apartment in Ramlet and Vaida. So next, next to the hotel in a sense. Uh, uh, yes, like not far the, away yeah. where the Ajami restaurant uh, used to be it's right. in the, next to the Arab building. And then we get there and all of a sudden all this food that I had on demand... Yeah. I no longer have because right. I'm in a house in, yeah. a, in a regular kitchen and yeah. I can't have petit fours whenever sure. I want and I can't have crepes <laughs> and I can't have creme fraiche yeah. and I can't have chocolate and I start calling the chef I'm like I need technical support um, I want to make this because I miss it and I want to eat it so you're a kid in the war in Renat Baida calling Coral Beach kitchen kitchen <laughs> yeah Chef, chef Skander <laughs> and Chef Gabi who was uh, and then there was uh, Ahmad Shalin also and uh, Ali died. So you, you really have, I mean, this is the perfect situation for a kid because lawlessness, that the positive side when you're young is that you're free. Mm-hmm. You don't really care about the conflict so much as you yeah, care yeah. about the food. You were, yeah. yeah, for me, it was all about that. Like watching, yeah. you know, we used to do steak au poivre table side at uh, Restaurant du Cap, which was the restaurant of the hotel where mm-hmm. Sundays were like an amazing family brunch day. So that was kind of really my first cooking experience, cooking crepe yeah. suzettes and, and, and stack of poivre, you know, old school style, because we had sent, uh, we had French chefs that had trained our staff and, mm. and do, like we did a kick-ass stack of poivre. So, you know, I always wanted to dabble, yeah. you know, and my dad would always kick me out. He's like, don't get get the hell out of here. This industry is hell, you know, yeah. it's a lot of work. It's, it's uh, Oh, and kick oh, me yeah, out was, to, like oh, just... Avoid oh, yeah. this. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So okay. I had a secret yeah. code with the staff yes. that when my dad came, they gave me warning so that I could escape oh, that's from, from uh, different areas uh, of the hotel. Was it more out of he didn't want a he didn't want someone running around the kitchen yes. or was he actually telling you don't pursue this career? No, he told me not to pursue this career okay. and also yeah. did not want... Neither. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like two, yeah, the, both of them. And I mean, we, this yeah. is just your opinion. I... Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think he was trying to protect you from staying at Coral Beach? No, I mean, listen, 
the life of a hospitalier is a difficult life. Yeah. Uh, it's very demanding. Yeah. It's uh, even know, the smallest of restaurants. You're giving one hundred percent of your soul yes. both to your staff and to your guests. Yeah. So you're by the time you get home, the life force in you is very depleted, <laughs> uh, and and it takes. Uh, it takes quite a spe unique family to have mm. you know people in the hospitality industry and but I think my dad wanted something better for me because he saw mm. how hard he was working I mean yes. you know he was working 14 15 hour days you yeah. know he would leave home at seven o'clock in the morning get back home around seven eight o'clock yeah. uh, you know and then they would go out you know right you yeah. know? <laughs> um, but um, but yeah I think you know he did not want he 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 knew you know when you see your friends are doing uh, law or investment banking or whatever and they're at one level and you're still at a certain level the math is pretty straightforward you know so and he he was betting on you not i mean i'm i'm assuming yeah. getting out of lebanon altogether and pursuing something else not with me no, because okay. i that was for me on just not not possible and not gonna mm, happen mm, mm. and as I was the last one to leave so my sister That's left then yes. my brother left and you're there and then I stayed yeah and um, and I was brought to the US uh, in a very like you know calculated way because they told me go check it out if you don't like it uh -huh. you come back okay but then they said you cannot come back right and before I came to the U.S., I was getting weekly or bi-weekly death threats on the on the phone. You know, people calling the house. Oh, bef when, before when I, you traveled. Yeah, before, before yeah, I traveled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would, they would call uh, right after I would get back from school. Yeah. And tell me, oh, we're gonna kill you, and and I'll be like, well, why do you want to kill me? You know, like I don't know you. What did I do to you? Yeah. And we would have like half an hour conversation. So sorry, they were talking to you to me, directly. On the phone, yes, yes. But you're very young at this age. I'm 14. 14. What What was it about about you that they wanted? Well, I used to drive when I was at the. I, I drove when I was 11 years old in Beirut. You know. Okay, so, so you they, they thought of you as maybe a bit older and uh, more correct, correct, more involved. Correct. Okay. And and um, but this this very threatening for a teenage. I mean, for me, it was part of the yeah. This was part of the the jungle there. Yes. If you want, I didn't yes. know that it was such a bad thing. Yeah, I didn't know that at the time my father was already getting mm -hmm. you know yeah. uh, in, in, indecent proposals. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. in the sense that you know he was pressured. I had not known, for example, that the hotel had been robbed mm -hmm. a couple of times mm -hmm. and, and things. You have to realize I'm talking now uh, 84, 85, 86, These are the worst 87, years 88. Yeah. Beirut is in total free fall and mm -hmm. anarchy. Uh, even the, the so-called allies are fighting each other right. over car accidents. Yeah. And, um, and it was a free-for-all. And, and I think uh, people saw us as a target of opportunity um, because eventually... The hotel was sold for absolutely nothing, you know. Um, so uh, it and and the militias at the time were really trying to compartmentalize Beirut into a Christian and yes. Muslim, yes. you know. Yes. And there were all these dirty games that were taking place um, uh, to to really create this this true division, which never worked out because you cannot divide the Lebanese, uh, you know. Uh, you can manipulate some of them, yeah, but yeah. ultimately 
you know, there's a bomb that is more sacred. Uh, yeah. It just it got put in hibernation, yeah. and then it, then it came back. But I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, Lebanon is a bit divided over confessional lines, but the true Lebanese, the few real patriots that are out there, uh, nobody can unglue uh, the Lebanon. You know that they 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 hold dear to themselves. So in a way, you left Lebanon as the nightmare is expanding. And then by 82, you're, I mean, the Israeli invasion hits everyone in Beirut. Correct. And, and that was, you know, that was uh, insane because yeah. <clears throat> our father decided to stay and sent us out to the, to the, to the Christian areas. Oh, so in 82, he was still at court. Oh, yeah, he stayed, he stayed through the whole war. Again, my father lived to protect uh, the hotel, and he stayed there because he knew that if he left it, it would be looted and, and, yeah. and taken advantage of. Um, so, so he shielded you from the invasion in a sense? He shielded us from the invasion, yeah. and I'll never forget, I was yeah. in Faraya at the time, like many people were, and you know, you could see Israeli soldiers sure. walk around over there, and they were handing out pamphlets of how to speak Hebrew, I'll never forget that. But then... We lost contact with my father for about two weeks, I think, if I remember correctly. And things were getting a little antsy because mm. uh, a bomb fell on a communication tower that the International Red Cross had, you know, so we had no contact whatsoever. And then... Uh, um, so the, small, such a small... I mean, The I mean, Israelis were doing sorties <laughs> and the airplanes would fly really, really low over Ayunasimane. And, you know, the first time it happened, I was like, okay. The second time it happened, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And that changed my entire perception of what mm. was going on. Mm. And, I, and I really, uh, I was very, very distraught, yeah. you know. And I, I realized that, you know, uh, we were losing control and, and things were no longer in our control, you know. Um, while many of my colleagues, uh, if you want, or, or citizen, uh, citizen friends, were in a different frame of mind. You yeah. know? And here I was, a West Beiruti, um, among you know, people that were on the other side yeah. of the spectrum, and they were just not understanding that, you know... I mean, I'll never forget, you know, I was uh, standing, I was across from the hotel Alexandria in Ashtrafi, I'll never forget, overseeing West Beirut, and it was in flames. I yeah. mean, the whole yeah. horizon, I mean, talk apocalypse now times 10, you know, just the whole skylight up in fire, that was kind of really a threshold moment, you know, because the, the whole loss of control, you know. Yeah, it's a earlier version of what happened 13 years ago, a summer invasion, a summer war, mm -hmm. people go up to the mountains if they can, and they watch Beirut being bombed. Yep. And there's a new Lebanese generation that can relate to what you're saying, and they don't course, know the Israeli which invasion. Which is wrong, which I mean, is wrong. I'm, I was one. I don't have any recollection of 1982, yeah. but I know 2006. Yeah. And you, the way you're describing those that, that black smoke yeah. and watching Beirut being bombed, while you're still sort of there. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah, yeah. either... Oh, no, I was there. Yeah. So I was there. So just to tell you, we were there until the Israelis reached, uh, I think, Khalde. So we're not talking that far okay. away. I mean, yes. and we could see the, the so bomb. So just, just south of the airport. Yeah, the airplanes would go fly over the sea. I mean, I would see like a dozen Israeli jets all 
on a daily basis, you know, doing yeah. sorties and yeah. the noise of the airplanes uh, was was uh, soul piercing. Yeah. You know, uh, it really shakes you at your inner core. That you know, that uh, rocket kind of uh, noise that that was yeah. unbelievable. And then one thing that you know was really frustrating as well uh, was the sound of ambulances. Hmm. Um, and when after the Israeli war when Beirut started deteriorating and you had the war of the camps and you had the uh, anarchy PSP and uh, Amal fighting with each other Amal and Hezbollah fighting each other everybody was fighting everybody the amount of ambulances that Mm. would Mm. uh, drive by my school you know uh, was just unbelievable that I became uh, sort of Almost, I started having an allergic reaction to, to because for me it meant death. Yeah. It, every time I heard an ambulance, it meant another yeah. soul has perished. Another soul has perished. You know, it was very, very traumatic uh, that period. The younger generation, unfortunately, can relate to what you're saying. Yes, which is wrong. Which is wrong. It's so wrong. Oh, you have a soldier, soldier. You're almost soldier militia man. Yeah, you know, I mean, you're so. you're being actually trained to fight. I, uh, and I was, sense. and I was. Oh, you were? I did, a little bit, yes. Nothing, nothing okay. too serious. So I went to both sides of the front. So yeah. I went to the front on Sodeco with the Lebanese forces, <laughs> and I went to the opposite side with Amal. And, uh, and, uh, so just imagine that. Yeah. And no, I never told this to anybody, uh, but I had awakened. I knew that this war was a farce, and I knew that humanity had failed miserably in Lebanon with what was going on. You, know? you were able to come to that conclusion as an adolescent. As an, it, it was very crazy, yes. Yeah. It was, so, so what's interesting is that this happened right after the Israeli war. Mm. I was driving my mom yeah. from the Coral Beach home, so I'm 13 and a half, 14. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> But this was it. That's you know? how it is, yeah. Yeah, that's how, that's the way it was. <laughs> I used to drag race on the Corniche of Ramitel Guaida every morning because you know I would go down to heat up Hamisiya, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to heat up the engine of the car, and then my friends would do the same for their father. Yeah. And then we would meet on the highway and try to drag race. But anyways, what happens is that uh, driving my mom uh, from the Coral Beach. We get stopped on a roadblock uh, that is, uh, I think, a Hezbollah roadblock of some sort. And the guy that stops us is a guy that's with me in school. Ah. Uh, and I'm like, also yo. he's teenager too. Yeah, he's, he's older. He's, he's like little, two okay. grades older. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, what's up? What's going on? So we pass the roadblock, and my mom, my mom is like, who is this? Yeah. I said, oh, this is so and so. He goes to school with me. Classmate. Yeah. She's like, he goes to school with you. <laughs> You're going to school with people like that? And oh. she doesn't know yeah. that I was almost getting sucked into doing right. the same on the right. other side. Yes. You know? uh, that, that was it for her. Yeah, it's like, yeah I think that was this it. This is it. Yeah. So you, you come as a teenager. You happen to be here when tragedy hits your family. So I'm 20 days in Beirut. Yes. I spent 10 days in West Beirut and 10 days in East Beirut. And the 10 days I spent in West Beirut were the first time in my life that my father does not kick me out of his office and talks business in front of me in my mm. presence. Mm. Mm. And I am in heaven. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this guy is treating me like a man. Finally, yes. you know, we're connecting and all that. 
And I don't, you know, I'm not thinking my time is time is precious. The clock is ticking here, you know. And I'm sure it feels good to be back. Yeah, it feels yeah. great to be back. And then I leave. Yeah. So, so imagine year. So I leave August of '85. Uh, August of '85. I get back to Lebanon. August first of '86. Right. I okay. stay till August 21st or yeah. 25th or whatever. Mm. And then I come back and I go to school. And uh, and then on October 30th, you know, I get woken up from my sleep at 4 o'clock in the morning and I'm told that my dad had been assassinated, you know. And imagine, you, so imagine you're told that and you're spending three hours trying to dial to get to Lebanon. Yeah because you couldn't get through, because you had to call AT&T, international operator, who then would try to connect you. Surprisingly, I don't, I don't recall crying. I might have, but I don't recall crying. And then the entire family from the US gathers at the airport. We fly to France. We get to France, fly back to Lebanon. We land at the airport, and there's like guns and cars all over the airplane because Presumably our life was threatened because they didn't know what had happened. You know, we're like ushered into cars and protected and what have you. And we end up at the Coral Beach. Yeah. You know, and and for me it was, what was very devastating was that, uh, you know, in our culture, uh, fathers and sons are not, don't have a good relationship until the son becomes a man. Otherwise, the child is a nuisance. And the f- to have drank, tasted for those 10 days, this yeah. uh, heavenly connection, you know, with my father was so intoxicating and so delicious, so amazing yeah. that I was longing to, to, to taste it again, you know, and then to, to realize that it had been robbed of me yeah. was, was the, the most devastating. You're able to have a very, very special moment with your father as both a friend and as someone that he's treating you as almost an adult. Yeah. Yeah. And those are your last memories of your father. The only. The only. Yeah, because otherwise the rest was just this disciplinary, this, you know. So from removing you from the kitchen, he's now letting you into his kitchen in a sense. Exactly. And that, like... Again, your, your relationship to Lebanon, I'm guessing changes dramatically afterwards it does and it does not um, because and I'll, and I'll tell you why we spend Christmas uh, we visit, you know because of the security reason we go to to Europe or to meet my mother but then the summer of 87 I go back to Lebanon oh and my okay. mother myself and my brother yeah uh, run the Coral Beach oh and my mother got you know God bless her, she's an amazing woman, had never run a restaurant or a hotel or anything like that, takes the hotel under her wing and keeps the legacy going. And I'm sorting out the nightclub and making sure we have the best music. She's uh, focusing on the food and beverage program, I'm tasting uh, stuff. And we run the hotel for two summers in a row. You're still in school here. I'm still in school here. And you're running a hotel at home. Yes, it's only when we're there. I mean, she's, sure, of yeah, course, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but I mean, you are in a but way... We, we helped as best yeah. as we could, and, and, and what nobody knows is that it was the first time that the hotel was profitable since it had opened. So in, in the worst years of fighting, the, I mean, these are the hor- horrible yes. years, 
Coral Beach See, is, my mom, is my mom was brilliant. What she did is that, and again, remember, this is a woman who never peeled an orange in her life. He, she, she came from, she was, you know, she came from a very blessed background. Her family had done extremely well. Uh, and all of a sudden, she's the chef d'orchestre right. of this huge enterprise. Yeah. So she exploits every food and beverage outlet in the hotel into generating revenues. And all of a wow. sudden, the hotel becomes a very active social uh, ground where each revenue center is being maximized and yeah. performing. The only thing is that the innocence and the joy of happiness that I had as a child, yes. I never was able to bring back. Uh, and, and at some point I will bring back because you know, I need to pause and, and, and smell the roses, you know. Uh, when you have a, a life that is all about surviving and, and, and struggling and trying to make things happen, you, you, you deflect your own well-being and your own living to the objective that you set yourself. And, and, and eventually you become an addict to this, you know, uh, routine. And, and it's, a, it's, it's an interesting, you know, I'm, I'm seeing myself, you know, change as I, as I grow older, uh, but it's all in steps. And when you're learning from yourself and by yourself, and there's nobody to tell you what's right from wrong, right. Uh, it takes a bit longer, but it's the only way to, you know. But you were able to do some form of justice to your father by keeping the Coral Beach running, yes. you and your family. Yeah. Um, you spend your summers and you're 17, 18, I'm guessing. Yes. You're, I mean, instead of playing around among teenagers in America. Uh, and I had my fun. You, I'm sure, yeah, <laughs> we are. But you dedicate um, your summer yes. months to war-torn Beirut. Yes. And in a way, keeping your father's legacy alive. To, and, to, I mean, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And then I get accepted to Cornell University, mm. where I decide to go and study hotel and restaurant management. Is your fa- that last conversation with your father... Is it on your mind when you're pursuing the next stage of your life? It's not because at that point I am just a surviving human being. From the moment my father was killed until I graduated from college, I was a somebody in denial, and I'll explain that to you. From I don't know that I'm in denial. You don't know that you're but, in denial. But yeah. I know today with the wisdom that I have yeah. that for somebody to endure the shock of the loss of a parent at such a young age, by default, if you don't deal with that event, uh, it can destroy you and damage you for the rest of your life, you know. And I'll never forget, because in high school, I used to, you know, the year it happened, I was like a zombie. I was cutting classes, uh, I started smoking. And I'll never forget, there was a physics teacher that came and told me, he's like, listen, I want you to know something. What you're going through, nobody should have to go through. And But I want you to, to realize that there's two ways this is going to end up for you. Either you're going to become a drug addict and die, <laughs> or you're going to use the power of this event and it's going to fuel your fire. In this moment, though, this moment, are you able to feel real sympathy from people that don't really know your background. They know that something bad happened. But are you able to relate to them? No. No. I see all the kids with their parents. Yeah. And I'm the only one without a parent. Right. I don't have my mom, I don't have my dad. And then I see a dad hugging uh, 
his his child, and I realized, holy shit, I don't have a father. And I'm sitting in class, so I'm studying hotel and restaurant management. By by choice. By choice, because yeah. I'm going to go back and 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 run the Coral Beach and, oh, and grow okay. the family brand. So in your okay, so Coral Beach was still it's on still, the horizon. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. Okay. And I knew how to cook. I knew yeah. everything. I knew, you know, I knew, I knew maintenance. I knew the reception. I knew yeah. the reservation desk. I knew the housekeeping desk. I knew everything. I mean, I'm, for me, it's like I'm sitting in the classroom, and you know, you got these guys spewing theory on you that is, in some ways, very disconnected from reality. Yeah. So I'm having an adverse reaction, and I'm raising my hand. Excuse me. Uh, this is not the way how it we is. Do. <laughs> this is the way it is. You know, yeah, yeah. whatever you're saying is is not real. You you had the opportunity to join uh, fraternities and all that. I you know I didn't want to. I preferred my independence so I could get in everywhere I wanted to go. And everything is going relatively okay. And then on March of 1988, my second semester, my family calls me and tells me, "Oh, uh, by the way, we sold the Coral Beach." You were not expecting that. I I had no clue that it even that was on the table. I had no inkling whatsoever, nor was I ever asked to opine. And that's the reason you're at Cornell. Yes, I lose my mind. I was like, how could you guys do this to me? What am say, I doing here? When you here? say you guys, you mean your immediate the family. family. So they just did not tell you? They did not tell me, and I understand why, but regardless, to the, for me, it was an inexcusable yeah. sale. Now, in retrospect, when my mom was running the hotel, her life was under threat. After they killed my father, my mom was still being threatened, you know. And even though all the powers that be that sit today at the the government tables promised to protect us and all that, we saw what happened with my dad. And then we were like, we're not going to risk your mother as well. So we were were being shaken down aggressively by the system, you know. So here everything goes downhill. You know, I'm like, I'm like uninterested to go to class. What am I gonna do? Like, you know, like all all I'm studying is to go back and run the family business, etc. Now on the flip side, there was a Lebanese restaurant, Lebanese-owned restaurant on campus that was called Aladdin's. Jesus. So I go there. I'm like, okay. Let me go figure this thing out. I taste the food. And you know, it's funny because it's before the Disney movie. Yeah, so it's this before is the like, Disney movie. It's, you could say it's a little yeah. more authentic. It was, it was a guy from Zahli. So I go there and I'm like, who's the chef here? I meet this guy, Nadim. I'm like, wow, you're a chef. He's like, no, actually, I'm the contractor that built oh. the place, but now I'm the chef. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's great. We're going yeah. to really get along. Mm-hmm. So every day I go to the Saladin. And I'm tasting the hummus and it's disgusting and I'm tasting the baba ghanoush and it's unedible and the fatouche yeah. is like, you know, not freshly squeezed lemon. And no one really knows because they don't know. Nobody knows Yeah, I am this is just... Yeah. No, 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 I mean, nobody... Your peers don't know what Lebanese no, they food should taste. They yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're like, the no, this is just a Latin. It's not... So uh, I'm yeah. like, I'm imploring Nadim and like, dude, let's fix this. We can yeah. make it better, etc. Now, while I'm there... I realized, I said, okay, well, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to open a Lebanese restaurant. You knew it then? I knew it then. You're given every valid reason to never care about Lebanon yeah. or this sector. You've been thrown yeah. into, I mean, an isolated, independent 
an extreme independence in America. And you're now also legitimately able to switch careers altogether. You don't need to be at Cornell well, doing this. There's nobody to guide me. There's no see, one? See, yeah. See, this is the problem, is that nobody came and told me, Philippe, you should do this. Nobody Philippe. told you, but I know I can tell that you wanted to do this because you, you don't need to help Aladdin improve their food. Well, no. First of all, I was a very proud Lebanese, you have to understand. Either serve Lebanese food yeah. or go call it Greek mama something or whatever, but... So, so, the, so the food yes. is what you were proud of at that moment, that, that, that this cuisine deserves better. Yes. Forget the country, forget Absolute. the politics. One million percent. It's the food that One you can't percent. throw the food away One too. million percent. Mm. And that transformation for me happened when we started doing meza at the Coral Beach. So right. I realized Coral right. Beach was doing yes. Polynesian and French yeah. food with curries and langoustines and, yeah. and, 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 and Tornador Rossini and all that. And all of a sudden we're doing... And, and all that stuff yeah. and we were serving some of the best meza and I remember we were all surprised as to how much of a success it was yeah, mm. my father included yeah. um, and then my mother thereafter you're able to see what you can preserve from a country that's gone to hell the food is not something that we can take lightly I mean, the politics, politicians, mm-hmm. the war, mm-hmm. out of your control. The food's not out of your control. Muslim, exactly. And, and you're willing to bet on this. Yeah. Obviously, I'm too young at the time, you know, and and, and in all fairness to the ownership of Aladdin's, you know. They took me seriously up to a point, up, and then it didn't really pan out for whatever reasons. Uh, but the drive is there. The drive is there, but at the same time, I am a rudderless ship. Uh, from a mental point of view, yeah. you know, lost the Coral Beach, lost my dad. You know, imagine like you're sitting in a classroom, they're talking about topics and all you can think about is, is seeing course, your dad being course. shot, you know, yeah. Yeah. and you're having like all sorts of crazy, you know, uh, visions and all that. You know, and, and I'm sure whenever you endure a tragedy, I don't know if it's the same t- for you, but I rebuild the whole incident. So I, I see it fully, I, I live it, I live it from his perspective, I live it from my perspective, and when you undergo such trauma, I guess you reconstruct all these things yeah. to, with the facts that you have in front yeah. of you. Yeah. So eventually... It's I hard get, to be in a classroom after that. Yeah, it's very hard. It's yeah. very hard to be in a classroom. And if I had at the time anybody advising me on all that, I would not have gone to mm. college. You know, I, I was not enjoying being in classes. So then I moved to New York City. So you're, you're now 19, 20, 19? 19. You're in New York. I'm in New York. Cornell had suspended me. I go back to Cornell and then I get kicked out. <laughs> and then I tell my mom, you know what, Khalas, I don't wanna I don't wanna deal with the United States. I wanna come back to Lebanon. Yeah. And all along, you know, every time I talk to friends of my father, they're like, Philippe, the gods are telling you to come back to Lebanon. Mm-hmm. This is why you're having such a hard time. You need to come mm-hmm. back to us and I don't mm-hmm. know what. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I go back to Lebanon and I you know, I have nothing to my name, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to apply to the American University of Beirut. Yeah. And I get to the, on my way to my interview at the American University of Beirut, there was a Syrian army roadblock um, that was in front of what used to be Majzoub Optic, you know, in that uh, when you're coming down from Hamra and you got to make a, a left-hand turn to get to the UV. So, I know exactly what you're so talking about. So the Syrian about. army had exactly. their headquarters yeah. there. Yeah. And it was raining that day. And there was nobody at the roadblock. So I took a left 
I took, you know, I veered left to make my left hand turn. I make my left hand turn and all of a sudden I hear screaming and shooting in the air. And I was wearing a suit at the time because I was coming to meet with the president of the AUB. I was very fortunate to be given a chance to apply. You know, I'm going to be a patriot and I'm going to come back to Lebanon. So I, uh, the guy comes and grabs me uh, from the neck, the necktie, and tries to pull, pull me out of the car. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, get out of the car. You didn't stop at the roadblock. I said, I'm sorry, but there is no roadblock. There yeah. was nobody standing. Yeah. It had started raining, so right, right. maybe they went in to, yeah. come, ah, to come back out or whatever. All the, yeah. Looking at the back rearview mirror of the car, I mistakenly saw him wave, and I thought he was telling me to go. Oh. <laughs> so I take off, and I make oh. I make like 100, 200 meters, and I see like six guys running and shooting again. I'm like, oh my god! Oh, two misunderstandings. <laughs> two misunderstandings is too too many. Yeah. I get out of the car. No, he he tries to get me out of the car. I come out of the car and it's raining, so I open my umbrella. <laughs> he knocks the umbrella off. I put the umbrella back on. Uh-huh. <laughs> he tries to knock the umbrella off. I, I, I push him off, he tries to hit me, I knock him out. The next guy comes, tries to beat me up, I beat him up again. The third guy comes, puts a bullet in his AK-47, puts it on, on me and says, come with me. So I bring my hands down, and it's like some guy that's like five feet one, five foot one. And the guy looks at me, he's like, you hit him? You hit Hafiz and Assad, poof! And starts hitting, 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 hitting the shit out of me. And then there's another guy in like pink dress and another guy in uh, uh, commando, like uh, I forgot, uh, patterned uh, dress uh, outfit. And they're like four guys and they start beating the shit out of me. And I'm telling them, guys, take it easy. I am with you. We are fighting with you against Saddam. You know, we're in America and I don't know what. He takes his knife, he puts it on my throat like this. He's like... Uh, we're gonna take you to Mazzi, and I don't know what. And I'm like, like, I'm like, listen, guys, please call this number. You know, call this person. He's a friend of your friends. Just tell them who you have. So while they're doing this to me, they hit me on my head with the gun, and my reflex is to pee myself, which is fine, no problem. And then. There's a guy that was a client of ours at the Coral Beach who was stuck in traffic in his uh, white Renault sank, who turns his face and he sees me and he's like, Philippe, like what the fuck is happening? Oh. And I'm like, go, 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 don't, 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 don't worry about it. And that like really squeezes my heart, like really, really yeah. bad. Then there's a woman that's walking by and the woman, I don't know who she is. She starts screaming at them and tells them I'm her brother. She says that. And I break down. I start crying. You know, because all of a sudden I'm realizing this is Lebanese yeah. civilians against the occupier. Yeah. They're feeling, you know, they're all feeling this. Uh, and, and it, like, destroyed me. Long story short, the guy finally makes his phone call. Comes, brings me a piece of Kleenex because I had started crying. Gives me a cigarette. And he tells me, he's like, listen, man. We're watching you from now until eternity. Be careful what you do." So I go to meet the president of the university. <laughs> You're joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're still... Yeah, yeah, with my, oh, my, my piss in my pants and everything. If I have to repre- uh, repress my freedom of speech this way, I'll end up dead. There's no way that I, 
I'm not compatible with the current, the, the way things are in the country. Your father pays the ultimate price and you're still going back. Yeah. And you're still believing in the Coral Beach and yeah. you're believing in Lebanon. Yeah. And it's after the war ends that you're faced with the dark reality of post-war Lebanon. And that to you is more dangerous than the war. Oh, big time. Yeah. Big time. Because you were, you were under an occupation that was indoctrinating the mass populace. And, yes. And the, the Syrian regime was really penetrating very, very deep yeah. into the fabric of Lebanon through the society, through the businesses. I mean, they were taking percentage points yeah. from everybody. They were forcing everybody to be partners with them. They were forcing the prime minister to do deals that he would, should not have ever made and, and, and so on and so yeah. forth. Um, and you leave. And I, so I, luckily, I get accepted to Rochester Institute of Technology yeah. and I leave. I get to the campus of Rochester Institute of Technology and it's this ugliest campus <laughs> on planet. It looks like a maximum security prison. Look at the dichotomy, AUB, Right? Well, and Cornell, then, no, well, amazing. Sure, but it, I mean, yeah. AUB in itself is very special, yeah. and then suddenly you're in the... Yeah, uh, don't get me wrong, top five in hotel, restaurant, schools. But can I ask you, because <coughs> you had already been in university, and you saw a restaurant that could have a serious makeover, and yeah. a, did you still have that in you at this yes, point? Yes, so I knew I was going back to New York to open a restaurant. Oh, you knew that? Oh, yeah. So from Beirut back to New York, you said that's it. And I went and I trained. So okay. in between my year of graduation, yes. um, I did a six months training. I went, I worked at Burj Al Hamam in Lebanon. Okay. I worked at D1 in Paris, yeah. which doesn't exist anymore. I worked at Noura in Paris. So you, you, you very quickly. I wanted to no. I wanted to confirm yeah. that what I knew was correct, and the recipes I had written yes. were not crazy. And yeah. I was very fortunate to have a lot of the recipes of from my family from the hotel. Right. So I never was cooking for me was second nature. I it mm. was not something mm. that I had to think about. Yeah. yeah. You know, combining flavors, calibrating a dish. Uh, for me, it became, uh, I, I taught myself uh, what happens to an ingredient, uh, how does it evolve over time, how does it evolve under heat, under humidity, right. under dryness, etc. All the different permutations. Cooking became a mathematical equation for me, in, in, so to speak. And, you, and you, you saw it, that that's the goal, that you're going to have one day your own restaurant. Yes, but not Elili yet. Of course. I wanted not to do. I yeah. wanted to do the fast casual, and I. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna sell you the franchise. You're gonna buy a CD. You're gonna put it in your computer, and everything's gonna be done for you, kind of. Right. You know, with videos of, of you know, I mean, very lofty goals. But I mean, you're also, to be fair, you're still. I mean, you're in your early twenties. Yeah. 21, so you're not. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible for you to know exactly yeah. where this is going. But you saw yourself running. An institution. Yes. Okay. Yes. And you, you, fast forward. You're getting hands-on training globally from Beirut to Paris and Spain. I and, also in Spain. Yeah, yeah. And you get your degree. You're in America. There's no necessity to go back to Lebanon. 
you know, everybody's soliciting us, soliciting me and right. my brother to some extent to go back to Lebanon. But you refuse to. To take over the Coral Beach, yes. to run it. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, not only do we refuse, we did not see, we saw that Lebanon was broken and it was yeah. far from being fixed. And we knew yeah. that we were going to go to, you know, despite the Prime, Prime Minister Halili's um, intent, we knew that he was too much of an optimist, you know, from our yeah. vantage point, you know. And um, I knew also from the fact that every four or five years there was an implosion, you know, there was yes. like a cycle yes. yeah. into this. And that's post-war. The Lebanese right. tragedy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not, I mean, this is... After, and every yeah. time we would go back, friends... So we, we had two reactions. I had two reactions. One, you are so smart and lucky you left. You idiots, why did you leave? Look at how much money these guys are making, yeah. right? You know? And um, and then in the end, unfortunately today, the, the if I were to compare Lebanon to going to the casino, right now I am winning, not the house, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately. But this kind of background, I think, is essential to taking big risks. You recreate a form of Lebanese patriotism, a form of pride, on your own. You are able to... It's the way, Le the, way Le the Lebanon that I saw, the Lebanon yeah. that my father and mother educated me in, Yeah. you know, when I say that the Coral Beach was an oasis of peace where people gathered and arch enemies talked behind the scenes or in front of the scenes or you know and people celebrated life for me that's the Lebanon I grew up in um, and Ilili is an homage to that heritage you know um, Ilili for me forever to give you an example is a New York restaurant by New Yorkers that happens to serve Lebanese food not because I don't want it to be a Lebanese restaurant yeah. that is serving New York. Right. But because in order for it to be the bridge between the cultures and to really be that interface between Beirut and New York, that kind of fish harami as they call them in Lebanon, it had to have its New York identity as much as it had its Lebanese identity. But is it a testament to your own self-identity today that you see yourself <coughs> as literally both? The reason that the, mm -hmm. the, the, the separation of Lebanese-American, which we know what that means, versus American-Lebanese, mm -hmm. that in order to thrive in one of the most competitive, most brutal cutthroat markets in the world, you can only take so much baggage with you. My approach to cooking is always to ask why. And it's that curiosity that allowed me to deconstruct a lot of the food that I cook and reconstitute it in a different way. Mm. Because just because grandma's been doing it like this for, you know, two decades or whatever, you know, a century or whatever the hell it is, doesn't mean that it's right or will get you the best flavor. Mm. So what we did here is out of commitment uh, to the culture and to the cuisine and to the heritage and as an homage to my grandfather and my father 
and the, the family that I come from, and, and, and if you want, carrying the, the torch, I wanted to make sure that I did everything as correctly and as amazingly uh, as, yeah. as possible. So when we approached the food here, we recreated it in the way we thought it would vocalize our vision of the cuisine the best. And, 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 and what I mean by that is that, for example, if you eat in Lebanon today, and that's changing, by the way, because now it's very cool and very into going to the food business and all that. But if you eat, let's say, a dish that has allspice and cinnamon and cloves and a touch of nutmeg and all that, the odds of you tasting the cinnamon and the allspice before you taste anything else are highly probable yeah. because there is the, this automatic default to yeah. more spice right. is, is equal to flavor. Yeah. While we here, we keep on, we add no spice at all. We start with the virgin, virgin uh, palate and then we keep on adding spice until the spice is a very far away, distant, while allowing all the rest of the ingredients to speak. But are, are you letting Lebanon progress your own way? I would be crucified if I went back to Lebanon, because, <laughs> because people would be like, well, but this doesn't taste like hummus. I'm like, well, no, the hummus you're eating in Lebanon right now is no longer hummus. So you're, you're keeping Lebanon evolving at, in, your, in your own life. You're, you've preserved something. Yes. Subjective. Yes. Is this a form of justice, in your opinion, to what happened to your family and what happened to your childhood, what happened to your hotel? Because Lebanon, you I can't don't have... Know. Listen, I don't know. Justice is a big word. But I, it's a huge word. But yeah. the reason I ask you is your father's... The criminals that took your father away, the criminals that take a lot of people's mm. lives away in Lebanon, the chances of them ever facing punishment for what they did are close to zero. <clears throat> if, you're, right. if you're lucky, yeah. maybe something good happens yeah. to you that you have your your form of poetic justice, mm -hmm. if you're lucky. Most of the time you don't. Mm -hmm. Is this a quiet form of making sure your father's dreams don't die? Even if they've died in Lebanon, they don't die abroad. One million percent, I am in awe and admiration of what my grandfather and father did, yeah. where my mother's heritage came, how she influenced my father, and I came out, out of, as a product of the two of them. And, and, and what I do every day is in, in, in uh, reverence uh, to what this, this amazing couple did and, and, and what my father did. Yeah. You know, my father almost died multiple times, you know, saving his own employees yeah. and, and protecting his family. So uh, what I do is nothing in comparison. Ididi um, is, is a story of... In, in essence, an immigrant that took very big risks, that was committed to a vision, that did not waver, did not give up, despite very difficult odds, and that was fortunate enough to have a team and a st uh, staff that uh, appreciated and respected the journey that yeah. we embarked on to yeah. really nurture and push that journey forward. Yeah. Yani, uh, when I say that we don't have the staff unlike you know, restaurants in Paris or Montreal and all that, when I built this concept, 
I knew that I wanted to grow it. And in order for me to grow it, if I was a hostage of an ethnic staff every time I wanted to open a branch, then, then the business model did not work. Um, and I had to find a way to make my American colleagues Lebanese in order for Ilili to be where it is. Yeah. And, and when my staff says Ma'ane, they say Ma'ane, you know, and when they break Ara, they break Ara. And, and they all understand all the idiosyncrasy, you know, idios, sorry, I'm getting yeah, started. No, no, idiosyncrasies. Yeah, yeah. Of, of what it is to eat Lebanese and all that. And, I mean, I'll give you an example. I, I sit down and I, whenever we have enough new staff, mm. I have dinner with them. Okay. We sit down, yeah. we, we drink Ara. Yeah. I show them how to grab the piece of pita. We eat together. I explain to them the whole wrapping with food. And then all of a sudden you have this this amazing poetic culinary conversation that's happening at the table. This isn't in, in a sense you're an if you're a chef that's also serving as an ambassador, and a restaurant like Ilili, and it's not just because it's doing well. It's the fact that you are representing a country. You're become a, a, a form of an embassy, a form of an embassy. Culture, yes. Cultural yes. attaché, whatever you no, want. No, no, yeah. Yeah, it's I a form. Yeah. And the visitors that are not Lebanese know Lebanon. Yes. And Lebanese that come to this restaurant are coming for the food. Correct. They may disagree with some things, and they, but Correct. they'll still come. Correct. And they still enjoy it. Correct. But the Americans that visit, or the non-Lebanese, I mean, you are in a way projecting a Lebanon that, in, in a way, a Lebanon that could have not gone through a war. It's the golden years. The, and all yeah. those beautiful, you know, eight millimeters yes. films that you see yeah. from old Beirut and, uh, you know. Right. Uh, that's, that's the Lebanon that, for me... And it's a spirit that is not necessarily evolving today at home, but it's a dream that can succeed outside. And that is the biggest tragedy, is that yeah. Lebanon is a country with an unimaginable potential in intelligentsia that is unparalleled, a basket of skills and, and intellect that is just unparalleled, um, and yet here we are. Your father died, uh, my father died, uh, we've all endured tragedy, we've all had great men that have influenced so many people that have, you know, and, and, and to lose them for this result is an insult uh, it's the biggest insult of them all, you know. I'll, I'll maybe uh, I'll take it from the depressing to the slightly less depressing. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I honestly think Lebanon didn't, didn't die. Lebanon was killed. Because death should just be a natural thing. Mm. And if a bad idea fails, it fails and it disappears. A decent idea, a, a, an idea that, that, you know, was not... On paper, at least, it seemed, it seemed good. It seemed like it would, it would work out. Was brutally ended, was killed, and that kind of death, an unjust ending, I think is impossible to just turn the cheek and walk away from. People find forms of justice, and Lebanese, I think, Lebanon's one of the few countries where a civil war ends, and the situation is too difficult mm-hmm. to reinvest. And civil war ends, that means it's over. Things it's better. It was never over. 
where are the, where are the, the civil war? I mean, the fact that the civil war ended is almost now becoming a detail. Where are the truth tribunals, yeah. the reconciliation seminars, the forgive and forget, the the justice, the accountability that you yeah. end a war with, and the state rebuilding and the sovereignty you would expect. There's very few, very few, and we can count them maybe on one hand. Very few things that are in their heart, Lebanese, that have survived. Food is probably at the top of the list. And it, yeah. Yeah, and so long as there's uh, someone like you, who's very passionate about their own history and food, I think uh, the American that walks down the street here, that turns and sees a name, they don't know what it means. Mm -hmm. Maybe they wander in out of curiosity and they're eating a cuisine that they don't know. Correct. And suddenly they think Lebanon is something very special to them. It's someone like you that can do that. I'll just end it here. A lot has been said, a lot has been whispered about the meaning of Elili. We know what Elili means, but where did the name come from? Um, you could have called this anything. Uh, and you chose a very <coughs> soft Lebanese Arabic dialectical word. So, so because the decor and the design of the concept were not Baba Masood House of Falafel, you know, and Kichi. <laughs> this was a modern restaurant. Uh, you know, what, what was I going to call it? Dunya, Beiti, Beitak, Ahla, Sahla. But you, know? you could have gotten away with anything. I you know. chose a word that's well, not. Yeah. So, my uh, ex girlfriend and the architect of the restaurant, if I remember correctly, and I, they, they will correct me, but they were chatting on either MSN Messenger or Skype. We were talking about names. And then either she tells him Ilili or he tells her Ilili. Mm. And I join the conversation or they're like, oh, we found the name. And they're like, this is the name. And then because Anna, I'm very mathematical, so I love palindromes. Mm. And the zip code of the location is 10001. I thought that was going to be the reason, yes, actually. Yes, yes. I was going to ask you, but then I thought 10101 no. would have been Ilili. No, no, no. Because of that... Um, believe it or not, I, know I sent a survey to like 200 people. Okay. Elili was like number seven on it. Mm. They had selected other names. And then I liked, I liked the palindrome. And, uh, so they just tossed the word out. They thought of it. Yeah. You liked the pattern. Yeah. It is close enough to be the zip code. Yeah. So that's it. That's it. And, and it felt, it, it was very fitting for an immigrant that's telling his story. Tell me. Tell me. But it's it's a it's a hey, wait, it's Ulili. It's Ulili, exactly. Yeah. So Ilili is a Beirut no Beirut side, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're making sure it's told to a woman. Yes. So why 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 not? Is it because the zip code is five digits? No, 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 no. Um, it's because feminine is always softer. There you go. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Okay. And and I don't know, like. But yeah. you know that. I don't think people... I explain it. We explain it. We explain it in our training manual. Yeah. We, we say, you know, it's, it's, it is female to female or male to female, right. uh, but not male to male. Not male to male. Yeah. And it's, well, that soft touch, I think, is what drives Lebanese in that wouldn't know otherwise. Mm. Because we're, you walk by, mm -hmm. there's no sign that no. it's Lebanese food. No. There's and no, not even the decor. I mean, I some people yeah. thought that we were a Japanese restaurant. You know, other people thought we were a private club. I've been told. I think that it's cedarwood. Yes, but that's. I mean, it's. That's not something you would know right away by looking no, at no, it. No, no, yeah. no. You'd have to be. You'd have to really know your wood. So, so if you want to take something really, if you want to understand the decor, uh, the red chairs 
are supposed to be petals of the flower. The round hmm. uh, tables are the inside of the flower. I see. And those are supposed to be the red tulips in the tail of Adonis. And the six columns are supposed to be the giant, the oh. pine trees in the forest. And Ilili is like a, a, a field of coquelicot, you know, which is the flower that comes up that blooms only once. And at the time, when we were doing the, the you know, getting inspired about the design, I wanted to go to a, a time when there were no Muslim Christians or Jews. <laughs> so I'm like, let's go back as far as possible. That's funny. That's funny. They ruined everything, those, those three. Let's go to some time where it was all fun, debauchery, and, and, and celebration of so life. The inside, the slattis, was inspired, you know, the Phoenicians were seafarers, yes, and therefore right, the inside yeah. of a boat. Yeah. And that's the one thing yeah. I noticed when walking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it morphed into a street in Beirut with rope lighting, and that this right. would be like you know uh, what a street in the modern Middle East would be, whether yeah. you know you're driving through Beirut or you're driving, you know. Yes. Yes. And that's that's how we we, we came about it. You took uh, you took pleasant memories of Lebanon, of Beirut, and you brought it to New York your way. Uh, I know your food not from Idili, from Neila. I mean, this is now maybe 12, 13 years ago. Uh, sitting with my father in your restaurant in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Having great food, great company, but that's all I know is that the food was great, the company was great. The place is called Neila. It's my sister's name. It's your sister's name. And that's yeah. the name of the daughter of one of the investors. Right. And at the time when Bashar al Amour, the owner of Neila, yeah. wanted to name it this way, he asked me. Mm. My sister was a beautiful uh, young lady. She was like the Brooke Shields of her era. <laughs> yes. So he's like, do you mind if we call it Naila? I said, no, absolutely not. He's like, I still remember how good looking she was. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, it's okay. You know, now I, I, knew, I know yeah. why people wanted to do sleepovers all the time. But something about Naila, which I was yeah. younger and maybe, maybe I would look at differently now, is that I always thought Naila was just a little too Lebanese. Yes. And yeah, I, and design, I, yeah, yeah, and I say that with caution. I don't no, mean no, it in a bad but way. But I had no control yeah. over that. Elili, the refreshing thing about Elili is that you need to go for the food, and then Lebanon, if it's celebrated, it's celebrated through the food, yes. not because it's a Lebanese correct, restaurant. Correct, yeah. correct, correct. And that's a, that's a typical New York success story. So thank you, Philippe. Thank you. personal ingredients necessary for a Lebanese hospitality story. And I highly recommend checking out Philippe's restaurant in Manhattan. Uh, the website is below in the details box. Book a table and experience Lebanon Philippe's way. He is an ambassador of sorts today for Lebanese cuisine in New York. Highly recommended. And separate from hospitality, Philippe's story is also one of family legacy and keeping a family tradition going, whether in Lebanon or abroad. And when it comes to Beirut itself, there's plenty of family legacy and plenty of family stories where generations of one family keep pursuing the same craft, the same tradition, the same expertise, oftentimes against the odds. And next week, we'll be in a neighborhood named after a family, 
a family that owns among the most beautiful Ottoman-era homes still standing in Beirut today. And we head straight to Sursut Palace to talk about the Sursut family with Roderick Sursut. And he'll share stories from his family's trajectory, riding the Ottoman Empire's demise through the French Mandate and modern Lebanese history throughout its periods of wealth and ruin. And Roderick Sursut will also share his thoughts on Beirut's rapidly changing urban landscape and what the Civil War and post-Civil War years did, not just to Sursut neighborhood itself, to Beirut and Lebanon altogether. And in the meantime, if you want to stay updated with upcoming episodes, please subscribe through your preferred podcast platform or YouTube itself. We have a channel there. Search for the Beirut Banyan and you'll find it. And this week we shared the personal ingredients that comprise a chef. And next week we'll explore the foundations for family legacy. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>